We uh, kind of crossed an interesting barrier this past week. As you leave today, you'll get another one of these because we crossed another 100,000, right? Two weeks in a row. Mason, can you catch? Huh? Mason can catch. You know, they banned me from throwing these in the balcony after our debacle a few weeks ago where we almost killed somebody over here. And... Um, so we'll just kind of do it like that. But, but that's a big deal for us. We have two weeks left in our foundations campaign, moving towards 500,000. We're across 300,000 now, and uh, we're just trying to eliminate that building debt, really trying to refinance, or I'm trying to say reposition financially the church. We think that's really important for us. So as you think about that, the next two weeks are crucial for us. Uh, we just are asking you to prayerfully go before the Lord and see what he would give you on your heart that you would give to this foundations campaign. Uh, today we're, we're talking about something from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. And I've entitled the message, Should I Be a Pirate? And I think with Memorial Day weekend in mind, I was reminded of a saying of the British about some Americans during World War II. They said, maybe you've heard this remark, but they said about the Americans, they are oversexed, overpaid, overfed and over here. They didn't like that. They wanted them gone, you know? And it was a comment made during World War II, but I think it couldn't be a more accurate description, perhaps, of the American lifestyle as it stands today. And the issues that we're addressing this morning really are as old as time itself. There's nothing new that we're going to be talking about. Uh, and they haven't changed one bit since the very beginning of time because as long as men and women have been alive, there's been a struggle in their lives to live pure before the Lord. There's been a, a struggle to maintain proper marriage relationships. And I think through the centuries, there's been several turning points that are very interesting for us to think about. One of the first turning points in thinking about marriage correctly really came when the early church began to understand that God's design for marriage was what they should be practicing. One man, one woman for the rest of their lives. And the idea of polygamy was set aside. We're not doing that anymore. And that was a turning point because if you read the scriptures, that was never God's intention. And as you read those scriptures, what you see is every family that engaged in that practice engaged in heartache after heartache after heartache because God's purpose for our lives and marriage relationships really was for us to be one man, one woman for the rest of of our lives. And this command came to us even thinking about how we lived in marriage relationship with one another. In Exodus 20, it's very clear the command says you're not to commit adultery. That's just something that's, that's outlined clearly for us. But then when you start thinking about the modern era in which we live, it would be impossible to talk about the norms of society without mentioning the 1960s. In the 1960s in America, every social institution was challenged, every single one of them. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't just the things that, that we now take for granted. We were challenging the government. It was every social institution was being challenged. And the nation was really wrestling with a war in Vietnam and the meaning of civil rights for Americans and, and what all this meant. And the turmoil that was surrounding our country was spilling over into what people began thinking about was normal for sexual relationships. And, and they began to talk about it as this is the summer of love and it's free love and you don't have to be bound by these things because those things are stifling when you're bound in a marriage relationship and you should explore that. And people began to say, we don't even know if we want to be married anymore. Maybe this is something we should just forego. And when you started thinking about it like that, then no-fault divorce is introduced into our country and the effect of those things upon generations of Americans are now being borne out. 
Well, there was another seismic shift in our lifetimes. In the last 10 years, we've seen this seismic shift in our culture. Marriage again being questioned as fewer and fewer people choose to marry. Years ago, I heard someone speaking about what might happen if same-sex marriage was instituted in our country. And and what he said has been accurate. He said, you know, if, if you look around the world and the countries that have already gone this route... You may think that what will happen is that there'll just be a rush and there'll just be all these different types of marriages now. And he said, that won't happen. There won't be marriage. Because when you hold up something that is counterfeit and esteem it highly, it just lessens the value of the real thing and people just won't get married anymore. And we're seeing that in our own country. At the same time in the last decade, we have seen sexuality arrive at the forefront of marketing and advertising because the world really believes and wants to tell you that sexual gratification is the highest end of your life. Like that's, that's the greatest need. That you would think that it's greater than eating. It's not. But that's what we're told. I don't know if you've tried to watch TV lately, but you can even have the filter of your mind and the filter of your TV on. And watching TV with your children is a perilous thing because of all the advertisements that you see. I mean, I never thought that I would be having to go, oh my goodness, give me the remote, change, change, change quickly. Right? Why? Because that's the forefront of what we're thinking about. It, it becomes what is at the forefront of our minds if you go through any of the magazines that you read. Because when they talk about men and women's health, all they talk about is performance in the bedroom. I want you to think about what we're being told. We're being told that that's the highest thing in our lives and that everything must be seen in the light of sex. The last decade has also seen a rise in pornography. Some people are now estimating that the pornography industry is bigger than Netflix. It literally generates more revenue than Netflix. But it's hard to classify what's pornography anymore and what's cinematic because the lines are blurred. And this is leading to all kinds of complications in our lives because we fully don't even understand this yet. The results of of the pornography generation and everyone having the ability to have pornography at their fingertips is going to be found out in the next 10 years because we're raising a generation of people who think this is normative, but it's not. It's going to lead to a larger number of young men and women who enter adulthood as sexual addicts, leaving them incapable of having a biblical sexual relationship. And as a church, we have to deal with this because we're not immune from these issues. We're not at all. And to act like we are is wrong. We have to face this in the light of what the scripture says. Jesus was talking when he talks about the verses we're going to read. He's talking to religious people when he says this. And and what he's saying is it can enter every one of our lives. And when it does, there's a downside to this. It used to be even though that as Christians, we could kind of live in a Christian bubble. And that if if you wanted to kind of dabble in these things, you had to go to a bad part of town or you had to go buy something. But it's just not the case anymore. Every woman carries around the potential for pornography in her purse. And every home has it on every device in their home, including their home computer at their desk. It's everywhere for us. And so as we think about this, with virtually unchecked access to temptation, what are we supposed to do? Well, let's look at Matthew 5.27 and see what Jesus says to us about this. Because I think he uses some words to speak to us this morning that couldn't be any more appropriate for the days in which we're living. And I want to say again, it's not my intention to say anything shocking or disrespectful. And I've thought carefully about this and prayed carefully about it. 
And I hope that you'll know that going in and that you'll forgive me if I have said anything that's shocking to you. That is not the intention at all. I would never do it. But it is my hope and prayer that God would use this as a call to our church to purity and holiness and that nothing that we'd say today would be condemning, but it would be uplifting because there's hope in everything that Jesus is saying here. There's hope. Let's read verse 27. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I think that when we read this, the first thing that may come to our minds is, well, Jesus is talking to men. Maybe what we should do is just dismiss all the women from the room and really have a conversation with the men in the room. Because Jesus said, if you look at a woman and you lust after her, you have committed adultery. So there's no doubt he's he's talking to men. And what I don't want to do is, is try to circumvent the text and make it say something that it doesn't. But let's take some cultural context here. They were living in a culture where it was totally promiscuous. It was encouraged. If you know anything about the history of Rome, that was encouraged. It was something that everyone thought was normative for men to be a part of, and women were supposed to stay home and be chaste and pure as the driven snow. Well, they had all the power, the men did. Women didn't have any power. We're not living in that day, and we're living in a day that's literally quite different from that. And I think what Jesus is saying applies to all of us this morning. I think it doesn't matter whether you're male or female this morning. What he's saying is is really true. The idea for us is that we need to understand lust is a problem and the idea of going to places we shouldn't go to in our minds, whether it's just thinking about things or it's really engaging in activity. Jesus is saying this is wrong. This isn't who we are supposed to be. And we need to view this through the light of Scripture. Now, you may have read this passage and, and kind of run to that title that I gave the message this morning. It's the only hope we have to be a pirate. Just go ahead and get fitted for an eye patch and a hook. Because that's kind of what he says. I, I remember telling a, a pastor friend of mine one time that I was going to work at Daytona Beach, Florida for the summer at a church. And he said, you know, you essentially have two options before you go. And I said, well, what would that be? And he goes, which eye is your good eye? I was like, well, right eye. And he goes... You can cover that one up so that if you lust, you only lose the left eye, right? Or you can make a commitment with yourself before you go to live in holiness. What are you going to do? Because the choice here is really important for us to understand. What Jesus is saying is that this is something serious for us to talk about. It's something serious for us to understand because the damaging effects of these things, and most of the time we don't think sin affects anybody but us. That's the first lie we believe. I do this and it doesn't affect anybody but me. It's not true. The damaging effects go on for generations. And just like we studied last week when we looked at murder and hate, I want you to see that Jesus is again going right behind the action to look at the heart of the matter. What Jesus is saying is, you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. And we say, amen. Right. Got that. But what we might do, and we'd be incorrect in doing this, is to breathe a sigh of relief and go, I haven't done that, so I'm good. That, I'm, I'm good to go. And Jesus says, that, that's not it. You've got to get to the idea behind the, the action. The heart behind the action determines who you are. And he's saying, you've got to remember that our hearts, like the scripture says, they're wicked and deceitful. That's who they are. 
They'll deceive you into believing that you're, you're okay, you're fine. You haven't committed adultery. It, it's good. And Jesus says it's not enough. So let's understand something that's critical for us. When we talk about the standard for sexual purity, we need to start with the scriptures. That's our standard. The world's standards may be different. Cultural standards around the world may be different. Our nation's standards may be different, but our standards have to be the scripture. If we're Christ followers, we don't get to pick and choose. We go to the scriptures and we look at God's expectations because God's expectations contain the best for us. So let's talk about what God's best is, first of all. God's best is for one man, one woman for the rest of their lives. That, that's it. You, you can't get around it. And we understand that you can't make a biblical argument. And I've, I've heard people try to do it. You know, they'll say, well, there's other types of marriage. It could be a plural marriage. You could have many husbands or you could have many wives. That would be fine. Well, it's not fine. It's not God's best. You, you could say this morning, well, you know, I can just marry this person and I can cast them aside. We're going to talk about this next week. And just say, it, it's fine. It's no big deal. I can do it. That's not God's best. You might say this morning, well, same-sex marriage is fine in our It's not God's best. Or you might say people can live together and never marry. Not God's best. Again, all of those things have to be brought into light of the Scripture. One man, one woman for the rest of their lives. And any time we do anything like that, that deviates from that, it's not, it's not God's best for our lives. God also intended us to refrain from sexual activity of any kind until we are married. And that immediately brings up the question asked by generations of single people all around the world. How far is too far? Now, I've, I've got to be very honest with you. I had this conversation with my parents when I was growing up. I had this conversation with pastors and youth leaders. And I wish I could give credit to who gave me this illustration because it, it really kind of, kind of framed it in a different light for me. Because what, what I began to understand is that's the wrong question to ask. When, when you say, well, if I'm dating somebody, I mean, like how far is too far? I mean, like where's the, where's the line for us here? Wrong question to ask. The question needs to be how pure can I be? What can I do to honor God in purity? And a friend of mine gave me this illustration. He said, many times what we do is we set this line out here like a cliff. And we say, this is the line that I cannot cross over. And what we want to do in our relationship, especially a physical relationship when we're dating, is we want to walk up to that line every time. I mean, it's like, great, let's walk right to the line. And then we'll stop. And he said, but the problem is sometimes in passion, right, when you haven't seen each other in a long time, you, it's like driving a car 80 miles an hour towards a cliff. And sometimes you can stop. And sometimes you hit the brakes and you slide a little bit too far. That's the problem with that question, isn't it? The question for us today as believers, whether we're married or single, is not how much can I get away with? The question is how can I be pure before the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he is pure. And, and I think that's important. The goal for us is purity and holiness before marriage, holiness during marriage. Even we would say holiness after a marriage has ended through the death, death of a spouse. Holiness is the goal for us. And the book of Galatians outlines the acts of the fruit of the flesh, and it contrasts these actions with the actions brought about in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what is said in Galatians. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. It's funny. He starts right there with the deeds of the flesh being things that we could gratify sexually in our lives. Then he says idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, anger disputes, dissensions, factions, 
envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practicing these things means that you're living with these things as a part of your life. And the warning is really startling for us today. That to practice these things means that we're not living by the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because when the Holy Spirit shows up, you see something called self-control come to your life. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And self-control gets rid of these things. And he says people who live like this in their practice aren't inheriting the kingdom of God. And as Christians, we've been called to live a life that reflects the character of our Father, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, the character of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so once we're married, the standard stays the same for us. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. The Bible also gives warning after warning to stay away from adulterous relationships. The Proverbs actually contain two different chapters and discourses on staying away from adulterous relationships. Listen to what Proverbs 7 says. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray to her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. What does that mean? There's a consequence for what happens when we're unfaithful in marriage. And Jesus is saying that starts with the heart. That starts with the mind and the actions that are taking place here eventually make their way to the actions that are in our lives. Statistics tell us that roughly 20% of men and 13% of women admit to having a sexual relationship with someone who is not their spouse. Now that certainly doesn't sound like an epidemic, does it? Until you think about, if we're just talking about men, one in five. That's one out of every five families having the effect of adultery in their life, ruining marriages and affecting children for generations. So you say, well, it's not that bad. It's terrible. And the effects of it on our lives go on for generation. Verse 28, Jesus said to us again, this idea that it's behind the thought. I say to you, everyone who looks with a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. For every one of us, the battle is in the mind. When you allow the mind to go a direction it shouldn't, you are in trouble and you may not even know it. That's the problem. When the mind begins to go in a direction that is unholy, now we're in trouble and don't even really understand that we're in trouble. It's the context of this subtlety that these things begin to happen. And I can see the protest being logged right now. It, you might say, well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's better for me not to commit adultery, isn't it? I mean, I, I haven't done that. I mean... I understand what you're saying. I shouldn't be thinking these things. I shouldn't be watching, listening to things that aren't, but, but I have not committed adultery. So that's better, isn't it? But it, it's not better. Someone once told me that when you have plan B in case things don't go the way you want them to, you've already ruined plan A. <clears throat> plan A's out the window. And, and so the problem is with what I begin thinking, I don't realize that it's eroding the current relationship that I have. You say, well, it's not hurting anybody. Absolutely, it's hurting someone. It's hurting your spouse. It's hurting your children. It's hurting your grandchildren. It erodes the confidence and the love that you have for the one you should be with. Many years ago, I had a friend come and tell me that he had found his soulmate. And that was a problem because he was already married. And I kind of pointed that out to him. And, and what he said was, 
was something that kind of shocked me. He said, I've been talking to someone who completely understands me. I mean, she gets it. She completely understands me. And he, he said about her, there's no one who's, who's ever cared for me like this. I mean, she's a caring person. She listens to me. And then he said something, and if you ever say this, after meeting someone like in a week, you pray that God brings somebody to slap you. She knows me better than anybody in my whole life. No, she doesn't. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. She's known you for a week. I've known you for longer. I know you way better than she does. You're a scoundrel, right? I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? People know us, but we say these things and we start thinking these things. And I'm going I'm to tell you something. Here's the truth. To be very fair, very fair, my friend's marriage was a mess. It was a mess. He was working really hard to make ends meet. And they were struggling. Financially, it was a struggle. It was really tough. He was, he was working hard to raise small children and didn't have a willing spouse to help him with some of these things. She was hard on him. There were some tough things going on in his life. To be very fair, tough things. But what he had done was started thinking about plan B and plan A was done. God's plan for it was over. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that the things that he were facing were easy. That's not it. But if you entered into marriage thinking it was going to be easy, you entered into it with a maybe not so good view of how life is. Life isn't easy. Life is hard. Work is hard. That's why they call it work, not play. Right? Marriage is hard. Raising children is hard. I mean, everything that you do in your life requires effort. And so when you think about this, if you're the type of person who says, I'm not in the act of adultery, I'm just thinking about this, or, or I've met somebody and we just understand it, we're just going to talk, and all, you've already ruined plan A. It's already over. And Jesus is saying to us, we have to stop adultery before it ever starts. Stop it in the mind. Stop the thought process before it ever leads to an action. And you say, well, how do we do that? Well, you start by telling yourself the truth. You, you can start by saying, yeah, I get it. That is an attractive person, for sure. But I'm going to choose to live in holiness. I'm going to treat that person like a child of the king. I'm going to treat that person like Jesus would treat that person. I'm not going to use that person to gratify my own sexual desires or lust. I'm going to see them through the lens of scripture. And I always think about what Job said when he was in the middle of great duress and temptation in his own life. Job said this, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What he's saying is, I, I may be going through a terrible time in my life, but I have made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to allow my eyes to be the window to the soul that feeds things that shouldn't be in my life. That's set apart living. That's living a pure life. That's living in a way that makes sense in light of holiness, doesn't it? When you say to yourself, I'm just not going there. I'm not going to do it. And so the next thing you do when you, when you begin to understand things biblically, you put a filter over your eyes and your ears. And the, filterness, the filter is holiness. That becomes the determining factor. What you read, what you listen to, what you watch, all affect the issue of lust and adultery. Pornography feeds lust. You can't say that it doesn't. Guys, I wish I could say that it, it was just an issue for men in the church today. That's just not true. It, it's an issue that everyone is dealing with. 
It feeds lust. It feeds the brain the same type of chemical release and response that drugs do. It's the same thing. And I want to just give us a warning here. It's a problem for anyone who gets sucked into it because what it does is creates a false world and a false response in our brain. And that leaves the real thing lacking. It erodes something in your life. It takes away something that should be great in, in, in the midst of a marriage relationship. And it's giving it the same type of hit to your brain like drugs do. When you do that, if you don't wrestle with this, you'll substitute that in addiction and it has long-lasting effects. And I say this to all the young people in the room today. Don't think that you'll be able to kind of circumvent this and get around it later. The time to deal with it is now. The time to deal with it is now, not later. But that filter, I think, needs to be more intentional even than sometimes we might realize. Because we don't understand how we become ensnared in the trap. It starts with what you see every day. For those of us who claim to be Christ followers, I'm going to ask you this question this morning. How can we continue to rationalize the choices we're making about what we watch? This is the church I'm talking to. How can we continue to rationalize the choices of what we're watching? If you claim to be a Christ follower and you're watching things, and, and this is the thing. Remember we talked about the line being blur, blurred between pornography and just a, a movie, cinematic how do, we, how do we rationalize that before the Holy Spirit? I mean, I understand that Game of Thrones is the most popular show in the country. I've never watched an episode of it. Over the last few weeks, just reading USA Today, and them talking about, oh, well, this nude scene now takes place. And as believers, let me help you, that is pornography. To sit back and say, I can watch whatever I want. It doesn't affect me. You're crazy. You've lost your mind to think that that doesn't affect you. Men, women alike, to say that we can watch these things and let them into our soul. And that it's no big deal. Well, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it. I'm just unwinding from a hard day of work. I'm not cheating on my spouse. Wrong. Jesus says you are. Not your pastor. Your Lord. Now, if he's your Lord, you don't have an opportunity to sit back and argue with him. I mean, the Lord says, and we obey. And this is a really important thing for us to understand. When we watch shows that have these elements to it, there's nothing redemptive in it. Do you remember? I don't have, I don't, this is always dangerous to do it. I don't have this as, as a regular part of the sermon. But do you remember what Paul said, if I could find it in Philippians? He says, I, I want to remind you about what you're to think about. He says, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, good reputation, if there's anything in excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So what he's saying to us here is that there's something that's really important for us to understand. When I let that garbage into my life, my life gets garbage filled. You can't filter it out. The filter has to start that says, I'm not watching that. I don't care if all my friends are. Guess what? Called to be different. I'm going to help you with something, okay? This is, we all struggle with this. 
If you don't feel like an alien in this world, something's wrong. There's something wrong. If this is really comfortable to you, if you're not living in the tension of these decisions, I mean, do you not feel the tension that I feel? I mean, do you not feel it when, when I turn on the TV and go, oh gosh, I really want to watch this. I better look at common sense media and see what it says about it. I mean, I, I need to understand what it's, I, I really want to watch this, but man, it's rated R, it's rated mature. I, I probably don't need to watch this, even though everybody may be saying, oh, it's the best show. I mean, if you kind of fast forward through these parts and you don't watch that, I mean, preacher, we don't want you to watch that. Well, thank you. Thank you for thinking about my purity. But what about yours? You understand what we're talking about here. What about what you, what you watch just with clickbait, Facebook, Instagram? What about just looking at those things? You see, we, we used to call things like, I don't need to look at that. And now we say, well, if somebody doesn't have their clothes off, I can look at it. Really? Lust. That, that thing that we see, the thing that we desire. It doesn't have to just be what we would traditionally call pornography. We've got to go back and walk this back to holiness, righteousness. What about the books you read or listen to? Do they portray sexual encounters as great things? Do they romanticize adultery as the missing thing in your life, in this boring life that you're leading? If you could just live another life, are you lying to yourself and think that you won't be affected by this? And then I think the, the thing that we all have to just get really serious about this morning is that's holiness in our relationships. If you're not married, that means holiness now. Pursue it. Pursue it as the highest aim of your life and you'll be rewarded. And it may mean that you need some help breaking free from bondage in that. And I want to just say this to any of us. The shame is hiding in your, your closet there at home and, and not breaking free. That's the shame. There is no shame in saying, I'm struggling with this. We all struggle. Every one of us struggles. There's no shame in saying, I need help. Break the bondage. Talk to Pastor Patton. Seek the help out. Talk to your parents. If you're single, this get some help with this. Don't sit and struggle alone. You don't have to live enslaved to sexual sin. Don't have to. As a married person, it means guarding your relationships. And I want to just say this to us. The internet has brought easy access to relationships that wouldn't have been possible a few years ago. Like talking to your old high school sweetheart on Facebook Messenger is wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. What good's going to come out of that? How is that not running the car 80 miles an hour to the cliff? Why would you do that? Why would you have any kind of relationship, as we've talked about it before here, that would be face-to-face with anyone besides your spouse? I told you guys this not long ago, but our vice president, and I don't care what you think about his politics or not, this isn't a political message. He took a real big hit because he said, I'm not going to be with a woman who's not my wife by myself. And everybody was like, oh, this is awful. You're a worse person in the world. At the same time, we're screaming about the Me Too movement. You can't have it both ways, folks. Purity says, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. We model that for you as pastors. It's part of our, our agreement of employment here that we will not 
pick up a woman in our car, ride somewhere with her who's not our wife by ourselves. We won't meet by ourselves. With, I mean, you understand why? Because what good comes out of it? It means setting some protections and some bounds. And I'm going to tell you something. Only a fool laughs at temptation. Only a fool laughs at temptation. You listen to what the Apostle Paul says about it. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Flee it. What does that mean? Maybe you need to go get a flip phone. Maybe it'd be better for you to endure the ridicule of your friends for having an old school phone instead of a smartphone. Maybe you don't need to have a computer with unfiltered internet in your house. Maybe you don't need a TV in your house at all. Maybe you need to end right now the relationship of sexting with someone. Maybe you need to end that relationship on Facebook Messenger with someone. Maybe you need to go home and turn off some of these things. Maybe you need to stop reading the books. It may be time to flee it and say, I don't need this in my life anymore. There's all these things in our lives that sometimes we have to just lay down again and again. Uh, the, the children of Israel were constantly reminded to get rid of household idols. Not to have that in their lives anymore. Not to kind of keep them around in a little box where they could pull them out once in a while and remember what it was like to serve the household idols. They were to serve God and God alone. For some of us, we need to go home and get rid of some stuff. We need to burn plan B and start investing in plan A. We need to stop fantasizing about a life that we don't have with someone who is not our spouse. Holiness is the answer. And I would just say to us again, if you're struggling with this, reach out. Don't sit and suffer alone. Don't, don't struggle in temptation alone. Break the bonds of it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Talk to your life group teacher. Talk to a pastor. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And just by the nature of how things are this morning, we've chosen to do that just a little bit differently. Our response time this morning, you're, you're going to see a number on the screen. And if you'd like to talk with a pastor about anything that you're struggling with, you just text that number. One of us will call you this afternoon. But we're not going to have a response where people come forward Today, I'd like you to stay in your seats. Do business with God. Maybe you want to join our church or you've been thinking about becoming a Christ follower. After our service is all over today, I'll be down here at the front. I'd love to have you come talk to me about that. That'd be great. But in just a moment, Tim's going to come and lead us. We're going to sing. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do some business with the Lord. Just to go before him and say, is there anything in my life that doesn't need to be here this morning? Am I guilty of what Jesus is talking about? Do I need to, to repent of this? Lord, is there an action that you wish I would take so that I can live in holiness, so that I can flee this? I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. Bow your heads. And I'm just going to let us spend a moment in directed prayer. How do you deal with this passage if you're going, and I'm in the middle of the crosshairs on this. I'm guilty. You repent. Because God's grace covers every sin. 
You may be saying, I'm living with the shame of adultery, Pastor. I, I committed adultery. Repent. I don't mean take it flippantly. I mean go before the Lord humbly and ask him to forgive you. And he will. Ask him to cleanse you, and he will. You may be saying, I, I've been struggling with this as I came in the building this morning, Pastor, looking at things. I'm living plan B. Repent. You may be a teenager in the room going, I'm dying with this. And I get it. You have an unprecedented access to things that no generation has ever had. Repent. Talk to somebody. The power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ breaks the chain of every sin. So would you go before the Lord right now and ask Him to cleanse you and reveal anything in your life that shouldn't be there? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you never tell us to fight our battles alone. And that the power of the Holy Spirit is living within us who call on your name. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to do the work of cleansing today in our congregation. We ask you to make us holy and set apart. We ask you to reveal wickedness in our own lives. And we ask you to pull off the deceit of our own hearts that would tell us everything's okay. And Father, we fall in your grace today. And we ask that you forgive us where we failed you and restore the joy of our salvation. Cleanse us, Lord. And we're so grateful that we can come to you, our Father, not in fear and trepidation, but to a loving Father who has made a way for us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that holiness would be over us today and that you would drive out wickedness from us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.